Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. We are talking about part two of how to use data to drive hiring, training, and onboarding decisions. This is the BCI Distinguished Sales Leader Series. And during the beginning of the interview, we talked about using data science to drive our decisions in areas of hiring, training, coaching, and onboarding. Joe gave us a high-level description of the characteristics that the hiring assessment looks at, being skills, attributes, and mindsets. And Marcella gave us a really strong walkthrough of what's happening at Stripe and how they're using the BCI assessments and also how she hired a data scientist to really hone in on the Stripe unique training and coaching opportunities to ensure that their sales reps are delivering the best value using the Stripe company first perspective. So let's jump back in. Marcella, what were some of the biggest surprises when you moved to this data-driven approach? Well, I'm going to say it's not as much a surprise, but definitely it was interesting to see it in black and white once I got the data. It was confirming how managers define coaching and how it's different from how their teams experience coaching. So in the assessment, we have different levels. We have different tiers. There's an assessment of the individual contributor, so the rep itself. There's an assessment of the managers, and there's an assessment for leaders. And the assessment for managers and leaders digs into coaching. So, you know, we know this from the research that when you ask a manager if they are coaching, they'll say they are. And then you ask the team if they're being coached and when they're being coached, and they're like, we're never being coached. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. So the data does tell a really compelling story, and it tells you where your opportunities lie. But that said, I think you really can't underestimate the power of culture and change management that is required with any sales enablement initiative, especially when you're looking at assessments. Assessments tend to make people very nervous. They worry that it's going to be incorporated into their performance management, into their comp. So they may not be as forthcoming as you would like for them to be. And when it's positioned in a way where it's truly, this is a baseline of where you are. We want to know where you are so that we can make our investments from a sales enablement perspective in the right programs and in the right places so that we can put them to help you be more successful. It's really important to frame that. And the data will tell you where to dig, but you still need to get the permits. You still need to get all the neighbors on board. You still need to get everybody happy with the fact that you're gonna be digging a hole there before you start breaking ground. And my team right now is focusing on quite a few A-B tests to validate different hypotheses that we've formulated based on the data. There's an example just in our new hire program about how we believe that there's going to be a greater benefit from shadowing people that are emulating some of these qualities and some of these attributes. There's a greater benefit of them investing their time shadowing those people versus investing their time getting a content firehose, right? That's a hypothesis. We keep hearing that it's better to do hands-on practice, but we want to see those numbers come true at Stripe. I expect to see surprises that come from the data. I think that's part of it. We know that we don't know everything, And we know that the data is just a starting point. I love the idea of A-B testing and also that you call out change management. Because even if Stripe has been 100% ethical in their assessments, by the nature of it being new hire assessment, everyone's coming from somewhere. And lots of people have had really poor experiences with assessments And I think of the names that they're referred to because when people, and I'm thinking more culture assessments, but I've been called after doing a 360 developmental assessment for people to use it to fire folks. 
and we've always declined and been able to decline. Right. We have had the opportunity to come out on the right side of this, but had we ended up in court, I don't know that we could have. I believe that often when put under enough pressure by the board, by the leadership, the person who owns the assessment is choosing whether they want to keep their job. If they don't share the data, they may go away with the data. So all of that to say the assessments have often been used and weaponized even by well-intended organizations. That is the, the perfect phrase, weaponized. I think that the way that we leverage the assessment, first using it really as a way to help us make intelligent hiring decisions, which is really about saving time for the candidate that's applying. Like if you're not going to be a good fit, we don't want to take time from your life <laughs> and the level of energy that it's going to take for you to try to be a good fit, right? We want to make sure that anybody that does join Stripe is going to be very successful. That's one important aspect of it. And the other is we actually don't call it an assessment. We don't provide people an assessment report. We provide them a Stripe insight report. And that insight report is truly just a snapshot of where you are today. It is not indicative of where we expect you to be tomorrow or the day after. It's where you are today. Now, the reason we reassess, the reason we have you come back and do it again in six months, in a year, in a year and a half, is again, back to, are we investing our enablement resources in the programs that are going to make the biggest impact to the business or not? If we have out of 21 competencies, there's five that really we know we are going to prioritize for our go-to-market motion, then I want to make sure, according to the data, are those the five that have, we want to manage the middle, are those the five that with a 25% increase, we could make a huge impact to the business, we could make a better experience for our users, we could help empower our sales organization to be more effective, to be more efficient. We really need to look at it from that perspective. It's not a report card where I'm trying to decide whether or not you're going to summer school. It's really just a snapshot for me to know, okay, should I be investing and paying for a soccer coach? Or do I need to be investing in paying for voice lessons? (laughs) What are we going to do this summer? Where is it going to be better for you? I do think this comes back to, as an organization, we are a users first, Stripe second, team third type function. And that's the way that I'm looking at it. What's going to give our users the best experience? What is going to help Stripe as a business be most effective and help us achieve our goals? And then what's going to help the teams themselves be more effective? As an employee... I should want to improve, but we've moved into a culture where we've stopped giving performance appraisals in a lot of places, which is concerning if people aren't getting the data. Because as a person working in an organization, the only way I improve is feedback. And it sounds like this as a salesperson or sales leader gives me data about myself and my people that again, I assume you are 100% ethical is being used absolutely for the right reason because your culture sets those guardrails and this is how the organization operates. Definitely. There's so much value. I like to say that the sales manager job is the toughest job on the planet, right? Like you are washed between expectations from your executives and the needs of your team. You're carrying a quota, even though you're not directly in control of that quota. There's so many different things that make the life of a sales manager difficult. And time is a fixed resource. Like you can't suddenly make more time appear in your day, right? Physics. It's just, it is what it is. If you have the ability to know that by spending your time on this one thing, you're going to have a better impact. Why wouldn't you do that? 
Why wouldn't you want to do that? The reality is that most managers are coaching to the end result. They're looking at quota attainment and that's the end result. It's similar as if I were brought in to coach a soccer team and all I knew was what the scoreboard had said for the past five games. That doesn't tell me much about what I need to do at the team level to help them improve. Is it defense? Is it offense? Like, what is the issue? I have to spend all of my time trying to test that out, A-B testing. Well, maybe if I move this guy over here, maybe if I move this woman over there, there's no time for this. We move at the speed of business. We need to make sure that we are informed enough so that we can make the changes we need to make. That's probably the best rationale for this type of investment, but it does require a culture. It requires a culture that has a growth mindset. It requires a culture that has a coaching mindset. And I'm fortunate that I'm a part of an organization that does. So it sounds like as in most significant changes, I can't just go buy an assessment and expect people to be excited about it, that this is an enterprise change and its systems, its culture, its process, its people, and its mindsets that really make this work. Absolutely. There's a a great book that I have as required reading for everyone on my team. I sent it out to my former team for Christmas. Like everybody got a package in the mail. They're like, oh, a gift from Marcel. And they opened it up and it was a book. And they thought, oh, of course it's a gift from Marcel. (laughs) Of course you will send me a book. The book is called The Six Disciplines of Breakthrough Learning. It's a fabulous book that focuses on how to use data as a strategy and how to really think through the full learning experience so that you're not trapped in that world of a workshop, but you're looking at the transfer to the day-to-day. And in it, there's this cartoon that I always think about. It comes to mind frequently where you have someone that is standing on a platform. To the left, they have a slide which makes it really easy, like that's the habit, that's what they're more likely to do. And then to the right, they have this really, really steep ladder that they have to climb. And at the end of it, there's a door, which is the new habit that you want them to go through. And the moment of truth is when they have to decide, do I go down the slide or do I climb up this ladder? So when you're thinking about change and you're thinking about giving people any sort of insight into their performance, that helps make the ladder a little bit more appealing It helps make what's on the other end of that door a little bit more appealing because you can see that these are the results. So you need to connect it to that. And then from an organizational perspective, from a program perspective, is there any way you can make that ladder shorter? Is there any way you can make the steps a little bit easier to climb so that people feel that they are going to be progressing to something that they really, really desperately want, which is to be successful and fulfilled in their role and feel like they're achieving a purpose. I feel like with the data, we can actually give them a compelling reason to climb that ladder. When I think of organizational change, I know a lot of people talk about burning platform. To me, burning isn't motivational. It's frightening. And what I want to create is the vision of what they're going toward. And it sounds like the data and the culture creates the vision of what my success looks like here and how I can help my client partners also become more successful. One of the programs that we're running with BCI in partnership with BCI is developing these courses to help double click into building competencies. And there's one in particular where we're talking about the trust equation. So you think about the trust equation. Trust is the result of consistency plus reliability plus authenticity divided by how much you make it about yourself. So if you've got, you are consistent as an organization, as a company, we are consistent in what we say is what we do. We are reliable in that we continually give you value in what you're asking for. And we're authentic. We genuinely want for you to be successful. 
if you divide that by a quotient of, and it's all about Stripe and it's all about Stripe being successful and it's all about me as an enablement leader, then your trust is cut off at the knees, right? So it's truly, can we make it about the individual? Can we make it about the seller? Can we make it about our end user? Can we make it about making a substantial change to the world? Is that something mission-driven that we can actually anchor to? And that helps raise the trust quotient, right? But you can't fake authenticity and you can't pretend that it's not about you if it really is. <laughs> so in the design, you really need to think that through. And that's what we want our leaders to be aware of. That's what we want our executives, our managers, when they have a coaching mindset. Mm -hmm. It's not about me and about whether or not we're going to meet the quota that I committed to, whether or not my forecast is accurate. It's about whether or not you are developing and building the skills that you need to deliver value to our users so that you're growing your EQ and you're approaching things with empathy and with curiosity and at the same time making a substantial difference. You mentioned courses from BCI and I realize Joe's sitting here waiting for a question. <laughs> I wonder... Are these courses kind of off the shelf or are they tailored to Stripe? How do you decide which ones you're going to have? We obviously customize them to each customer. 99% of what we do is customized, not tailored, but completely customized to the uh, customer's needs and, and outcomes. So what we tend to look at is, again, the, the data gives us some great insights. And so we work together with Marcella's team and, and we come up with, this is the curriculum strategy behind this set of courses and here's the audiences they're going to and so forth. And then we develop them based upon that. Of course, we have 42 years of content we can pull from and that makes it a little bit easier and quicker to do, but it's all really highly customized. And I think some of the things that Marcella was saying, you know, we talked in the past, one of the biggest mistakes a company makes is taking their best sales rep and promoting them into a sales management position. I say it's a mistake, but if you're a sales rep and your friends are all saying to you, well, when are you going to become the manager? It's kind of like pushing you into the wrong role because the skill sets are so different. And it's sad because they don't really learn how to coach when they're an individual contributor. They don't know that skill set. And half of the problem that we, we see in the sales management function is that they've never been taught how to do the coaching. They would rather do it themselves than to coach somebody because it's too much work to coach the person. It's a lot easier to just go close the deal. And so you have that kind of a mentality that gets filtered into the sales management mix, and then you have to deal with that. And it's all what Marcel is telling me. It's, it's change management. The data tells us that only one in seven sales reps can really be successful as a sales management person. And then conversely, five out of six sales managers cannot be successful as a sales rep. I would add to that and say that when I was in sales, one of my managers said something to me that will always stick with me. He said, I know that I'm being a good manager if I get replaced by someone on my team. If I am coaching so well, that they know and they understand how to be coached and they're able to coach one another. <laughs> and then they are able to take my job because then I've moved up and I keep going up the ranks and I've had someone. So I'm, you're always consistently building a bench of talent and you're focused on that performance management and not just the number at the end of the month. It, I think there's a really great culture at Stripe within our revenue organization to understand that sales is a practice. It's a habit. It's something that requires day-to-day -day commitment. And similarly with coaching and management, it's not something that you learn overnight. It's also not something that you become fantastic at overnight. It's something that you model and that you practice and you improve and you hone because it's a craft. 
I really appreciate that, especially as someone who does coaching, that it is something that hopefully I'm continuing to improve on. And it's also something that I practice every day because it's valuable that the people with whom I work, when I'm at my best, I do help elevate them. And in some cases, they grow into a management role. In some cases, they will move laterally. Hopefully, they don't go to my competition. But there are people that graduate and they go to my customers. Mm -hmm. They are good enough that they get hired away and get great opportunities. Do you end up losing people? I imagine that's, well, it is an objection I heard in a conversation yesterday. If we train them well enough and there's not an opportunity for them to go up in the organization, are we just training folks that go to our competitors? It's funny because there's an anecdote about a CFO talking to a chief learning officer saying, you know, but what if we invest all this money and we train them and they leave? And the chief learning officer responds, but what if we don't and they stay? And you really need to make what is the cost benefit analysis of doing this? I would rather train them to be excellent and benefit from that while they're here than not and risk just having a level of work that is not the quality that we want. There's definitely a lot of value in just acknowledging it's not easy to coach in the same way that it's not easy to prospect, right? There is work involved. It is not easy work. And I feel like maybe where some organizations fall flat is they try to pitch it as something, oh, this is simple. It's like, well, no, working out isn't simple. It isn't easy. You can get into the habit. And the more you get into the habit, the more comfortable it feels. And the more comfortable it feels, the easier it comes to you. But that doesn't make it easy. It does, it's not easy to lift you know, 150 pounds. It's still work. And that's fine. It's how committed are you to doing it? How committed are you to the goal? How valuable is it to you to be that person that can lift 150 pounds? And what is that intrinsic motivation that's going to make you keep doing it? Well, I would say for me, the opportunity to help someone be better than they are is worth more. Again, it's the shining star in front of me versus the burning platform behind me to see someone get better and realize their dreams and their aspirations is worth the hard conversation, is worth upsetting someone, is worth seeing them in tears in some cases. Because with that also comes the affirmation that as your coach, I see the brilliance in you and it's my job to help you get there. I feel like there is something that you're saying that ties back to, I think Joe mentioned in the prior episode, how one of the qualities that we look for in people that are joining our sales organization is the willingness to be in an uncomfortable conversation, the willingness to be disliked, mm -hmm. the willingness to ask the tough questions from a consultative sales perspective. And it's because they see how by being able to support the customer, there's brilliance there. They know and they believe that there's brilliance there and they're willing to go that extra mile because the value to the user, to the customer is going to be tangible. Back to we hunt your customers' problems. We hunt your customers' problems. And that may be difficult. And my business is much more seamless using Stripe than what I did before. Absolutely. There's a metaphor that I used to use when I was enabling people on the whole concept of strategic selling, because that's what we're doing at Stripe. We are developing strategic sellers. So, you know, when you go into a car dealership, a product sale is, oh, I went into a Toyota dealership. Here's a Toyota. A solution sale is I go in and they ask me, well, do you need it for a farm or do you need it for the city? And depending on that, they give you a pickup truck or they give you a sedan. A consultative sell 
is when you come in and then they notice they're like, oh, well, you've got an eight-year-old. Are you going to need to carpool that eight-year-old around? You are? Okay, well, then maybe you're going to need a sedan that's just this a little bit bigger because you're going to have to take this kid around. A strategic sell is when you're looking down and around the corner and you're like, do you plan to keep this car until that eight-year-old is driving? If so, then maybe I'm going to recommend something that's going to help you for the problems that you're going to be facing in the future, not just today. So with some of these assessments and the data that we get from these assessments, we're able to identify who is more likely to fall into the product sale, into the solution sale, consultative sale, and who is able to look into the future and think strategically to be able to do a strategic sale. Because those are the people we need, right? The problems that Stripe is solving today are not the problems that we need to be solving tomorrow or the day after. We need to be able to help our users look down the road and around the corner. And for that, it involves people that are willing to ask tough questions. I can tell you from assessing people on the leader side, it's a small percentage of the population who can do that. Joe, let's go back to you. How do you use the range of assessment tools? Well, there's three main categories. So you have your incumbents and we take them through similar assessment. There's a management assessment and the sales leaders. There's different competencies associated with all those. And that's the range of those kinds of assessments. The assessments bring some of that quality out. How do you tell the difference when you're sitting in an interview between a transactionally oriented person and somebody who is a consultative seller? And so the questions are done by data scientists and and they know the right way to pose them and they're all linguistically correct so that they're not leading you with sports analogies or things like that. That's, I think, is a key data point. I mean, the worst thing you can do is you're selling a, a very complex product and you're ending up with transactional reps who don't know how to get down to the level of the need of the customer and so forth. So that's the depth. There's 200 questions and uh, the sales reps assessment, so not only talking about 21 competencies, it's drilling down into the skills, knowledge, and attributes that make up those competencies. And that's where the complexity comes. So although there's three general levels, they are all then tuned to a job. They're all tuned to an industry and to the culture of that company. Do you find that it is harder, easier, or just different to implement assessments like this in younger companies, either startups or more tech-based? Is there a difference in people's resistance to using insights? I would say that it's less about the size of the company and more about the culture of psychological safety the company has. Mm. So you may have a startup that's only 10 people, but there's no psychological safety. (laughs) There is a sense that at any point in time, I'm going to get the boot and somebody else is going to be sitting at my desk. Then you may have a company that is hundreds of thousands of people, but in the departments that are getting assessed or are receiving these insights, there's a lot of psychological safety. So one of the things that's very, very important to me and my team hears me say this all the time is we're not the people that are nagging. We're not the people that are running around folks with a stick like that. That's not the job of my function. The job of my function is to offer people opportunities. And if they're willing to take those opportunities, we are there to cheer them on Mm -hmm. and we're there to support them. But when someone from my team joins a meeting, they are the ray of sunshine that's coming into that room, making everybody feel like, you know, we can do this. This is possible. That is the brand. That is the attitude. And I'm very proud of my team. I'm very proud to say that they they are achieving that. And I feel that when you have that brand and you have that sense of psychological safety, 
then when they're receiving an email from me saying, hey, we're going to do a check-in on your insights and see how far you've come, they're less likely to think, oh, ugh, this is going to be used against me. <laughs> <laughs> I love the term psychological safety. And having been in organizations where I wondered every time the phone rang or somebody said, we need to talk, that was cue for you should make sure you've got all your stuff packed up before you go into that meeting. To your point, the assessment and coaching used well does create this safety. So Joe, how about you? What is your experience with this? It's easier to do the new hires, obviously, because they're expecting some hurdles to get into a company. Mm -hmm. But the incumbents, you just have to be sensitive to the fact that they're going to think that this is a keep my job kind of an assessment. But I really like the word insights. That's what it is. We don't object going to a doctor and have them do all kinds of tests on us to, to get to a diagnosis. That's really what we're doing here. I've got this hiccup here. I can't seem to get past this part of the sale and things collapse on me. What can I do differently? What am I missing? And so it's a joy to work with companies that have sales enablement. In a world where many of us live with our fitness watches, are there some people in the organization that proactively seek you to get the insights? Definitely. And that also speaks to the type of people that we hire. Mm -hmm. We hire people that love data. We hire people that are curious. We hire people that are humble. Okay. One of the favorite phrases that we have at Stripe is we haven't won yet. There is never a sense of entitlement. It's a zero entitlement organization. So we're always looking for where we can grow. We're always looking for where we can develop. So much so that Stripe has an assessment as a company. It's called StripeSat, and we run it two times a year. And the company is so transparent about the results that we get, right? We understand that we have this enormous opportunity, but we're proud of where we are, warts and all, mm -hmm. that we actually publish those results publicly. We publish the results of where we are, what areas we need to improve on, where we're investing our energy. No hidden agenda here. On the contrary, we are proud of being transparent because we know that it's just we're acknowledging where we need to grow. And that's the type of culture that we have. So for someone to get insight on where they need to grow and then to be able to show where they're tracking against those things is hugely valuable. I love the idea that the company is assessing itself because I assume then that means you're doing 360 leadership assessments and things like that, where the leadership is modeling that we're not just assessing you people down there, that we are all leveraging the data so that we as individuals and we as an organization can be more successful. We talk about making sure that every Stripe that works at Stripe feels the liberty to edit the company. We're all owners and to feel the ability to edit the companies that we're consistently looking for areas where we can improve and we feel empowered to do something about that. So again, all of this to say that when we can provide more insight, we can provide more data, it just helps us make more informed decisions. And it's about making the more informed decisions. It's about finding the human behind the data, the narrative, the story behind the numbers and doing something about it. And that ties back to your user-first company, yeah. that all of these work as a system, kind of the flywheel that feeds into each other to ensure it happens. Absolutely. Imagine competing against a company like Stripe, who uses data and data science to constantly refine their direction and path. Everybody's so thrilled about new technology, but making it work and making it work to the level of effectiveness that Stripe does is a challenge. 
I wouldn't want to compete against them. We're very proud of them for embracing the, the whole notion of using data science to improve their onboarding, their hiring, and their development of their staff. I want to thank you both. And I love what we've talked about, marrying data science, culture, people development, the idea of enablement and psychological safety and people first, truly creating a system that is incredibly strong and poised to evolve it is so rare and such a role model for all organizations. There's so much that we can learn from both BCI and Stripe. So I want to thank Marcella and Joe and thank our listeners for engaging in this conversation with us. Please consider the examples that they've given and examine what you're doing yourselves and how you might take on the growth mindset and the customer first mindset to be better in a world that very much needs all of us to show up and excel. Thank you so much, Maureen. It's really been a pleasure. I've learned a ton. So I'm going to take some of those lessons back with myself. too. Thank you. I want to work for you. <laughs> Me too. But stay in touch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for inviting us both to be on the, on the program with you, Maureen. Thanks, Joe.